while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today is the writer-director Tim Kirkman, and we're going to talk about his new film, Lazy Eye. Good afternoon, Tim. How are you? Hi. It's nice to be here, Marcello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, a bit more about Tim Kirkman before we jump into everything. Lazy Eye was written and directed by this Emmy, Gotham, Glad, and Independent Spirit Award nominee. You may know Tim Kirkman... Uh, from his work, uh, Dear Jesse, uh, Loggerheads, The Night Larry Kramer Kissed Me. Oh, and I should mention also, uh, we, <laughs> I have interviewed the star, who, plays, who is 99% of the film, I would think, uh, who plays the character of Dean in Tim Kirkman's Lazy Eye, and that's Lucas Nierverbrugge. And I, <laughs> I told Tim before we came on, I was going to try Lucas's name one more time, because... Uh, he was he was pleased well with my effort. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was really good, Marcello. I have to say, Thank you. you're one of the very few who gets it right. Well, I, I have a personal mission to get um, Lucas's name out there correctly spoken. Okay, it's a, it's a fun name to say. Near yes, Maruga. you know it is fun to say. It's just, <laughs> you just have to work on it before you try and say it. That's all. Lucas was a like, good. Uh, Chewy Joe and Yeshua Diaphor had the same problem at some point. And now yes. we're all saying his name. So. Yeah, yes. Well, I have to say, I really enjoyed talking with Lucas about Lazy Eye, and I'm especially happy to uh, have the writer and director on the show. Lucas and I spoke a great deal about life, I think. It's not that we didn't talk about the film Lazy Eye, but I think we quickly sort of morphed into what we already believed about the film and that is it is about life uh it's you know it's it's not taking a a little piece it, it's a weekend but it's not taking a little piece or segment of the population and talking about their problem it's about life now since i'm talking to the writer and director what are your thoughts tim what is lazy eye about well it's not surprising at all that you that that's what came up a conversation with Lucas because mm. that's in many ways I think that's why I cast Lucas mm. because the first meeting I ever had with him immediately went into um, how the story was universal for so many people they can relate to that and um, and Aaron and Michaela as well we we all yes. spoke about that in our first conversations but um, it, it it does feel like something that is maybe not even specific to this moment, but certainly externally, you know, it's it's a story about a man who is at a crossroads in his life mm -hmm. and out of the blue, uh, an ex-lover who he hasn't seen or talked to or heard from in 15 years contacts him. And I think who can't relate to that story? Exactly. Uh, especially these days where social media has reconnected us or connected us, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, and, and being disconnected 
is even more of a challenge. Uh, willful disconnection, you know, is really a challenge. I think being invisible when you really, you know, when we want to be, and that I think is universal too. The the desire to to just be invisible and to disappear, um, but you know, and uh, by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's uh, that's a little bit about what the movie is about. But for me, the movie is about middle age. It's about recognizing the, uh, and coming to grips with the choices that you've made in life and trying to reconcile those choices with what is possible and what isn't possible anymore yes. as you get older, letting go of those things. Um, even though these guys are young, I mean, they're young middle-aged, but I think the, the idea of each stage in life being some a process of letting go, not to be too philosophical about it, but yeah. You know, Lucas and I also spoke about it, and I think this is what you're hinting at too, the the milestones that we sort of impose on ourselves or or society does or tradition does about age. You know, we used to talk about when you turn 40, and of course now we're talking about, well, uh, 60 is, what is it, 40 is the new 60 or something? I don't remember. <laughs> but I shared with him, so I won't repeat it here, but I shared with him that my, my breakdown was at age 25 when I'd forgotten it was my birthday and uh, people were calling up wishing me a happy birthday and I felt terrible because I was a quarter of a century old and hadn't done anything. Um, it has a happy ending, but uh, we'll, we'll leave that to Lucas's interview. But I know that one of the things, Lucas and I talked about love, valor, compassion, and my experience with that in, in New York, but Lazy Eye is a movie that is about gay men, but it's, but it's not about being gay. It's, it's about people, as you say, coming together and recognizing that, um, I guess, life doesn't stop, but... Um, well, I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, I set out to write a movie where being gay was not the obstacle. Mm-hmm. Like that was a real mission because I feel like, um, we've had our coming out movies and we've had our discrimination films and we've had, you know, many stories about, uh, like Love, Cup, Love Compassion where mm-hmm. we're grappling with AIDS mm-hmm. and, um, I've even made some of those movies. Yes. Uh, but the, the fact is, I think in the wake of marriage equality and, and the progress that the LGBTQ community has made, especially in the last five years, mm-hmm. I think that there's a natural desire on the part of writers and filmmakers and journalists even and, and to, to begin to write a new narrative or yes. a narrative that at least better reflects who we are becoming and have become. And I, I almost, I call it the you know, maturing of gay cinema, mm-hmm. uh, but because some of the progress that we've made renders our stories as, for lack of a better term, as boring as everybody else. I mean, <laughs> we are just couples raising kids and going to you know work and paying paying taxes and doing our jobs, you know, just like everybody else. Exactly. Whereas before, the conflict in our narrative almost it almost had to be that we were gay mm-hmm. because until we got. I almost feel like now it's so much easier to talk about this now that we have certain some some of our rights. Mm-hmm. We still don't have equal employment. Yeah. Um, we don't we don't have non discrimination. I mean, a lot of people don't even understand that you can get married in one state and then go go to work on Monday after getting married that weekend and say, "Hey, I got married to my you know boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever this weekend," and uh, your boss can say, "Congratulations, you're fired." Yeah. That's legal. So that's still legal. Yes. Uh, but anyway, the point is, I think it was difficult to write stories in the past about relationships or family or anything without making discrimination part of the story mm-hmm. because it informs so much about who we are as LGBT citizens. It informed everything. It informed the workplace, our home, mm-hmm. our life. I mean, it, there was no place that it didn't touch except perhaps safe spaces mm, for the yeah. LGBT community, except it actually touched them too because we wouldn't need safe spaces yes. if we had equality. So it's kind of, I mean, you can't really escape it, and now we can, and I think that's liberating. Yes. You know, I uh, I appreciate all that, Tim, and I, I know what you mean, and I want to throw in the title, Lazy Eye, is an incredible title. I have the benefit, of course, of having seen the trailer Lucas and I didn't give away anything, but as you speak about the everyday life and problems and dealing with 
uh, everything that everybody deals with, regardless of your color or your sexual preference or who you're going to vote for, there are these universal issues of life and relationships and communication and uh, love and, you know, and then you get a title like Lazy Eye and you say, what is that about? And that's where I, I found my interest in seeing and having this conversation with you. I know we've been talking about this universal story, but Lazy Eye is also um, a game, which is universal, about roads not taken. Robert Frost, uh, about unfinished business and um, about the struggle to adjust um, to a world that's constantly changing. And as you say, changing with inconsistencies. You can be married, but you can't work here. I mean, really. But most of it is about the two men. And why do they come back together? nailed it when you said unfinished business. I think that that's something that I've been thinking a lot about as I get older. Mm. And I mean, I mean, I feel I'm in early middle age myself, I feel. So it feel it, it, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I feel like with each, as you said, with each stage of life, there's a, there's a moment of reflection. Mm. Um, if, if you have the luxury as we do to be reflective, mm-hmm. you know, we're not, we live in the West where we have certain comforts and, you know, in many ways, this movie is a, is a reflection of what it means to be free and mm. what it means to be, um, you know, to live in comfort mm. and to live without, you know, to, to be able to have that luxury of reflection. But just in terms of, of what you were asking, I guess unfinished business has been something that I think about a lot because I think it's a necessary part of a, the process of growing up mm. um, and growing up, meaning not, you know, not even becoming an adult, but growing as a human being mm-hmm. and their unfinished business is, you know, I think maybe so, I can't speak for everyone. Maybe some people live comfortably with unfinished business mm. um, with people who are with relationships that ended without warning, without, understanding or without closure or people who disappear. Mm. Um, if you think about it like that, I guess anyone who leaves us prematurely, either through death or but you know, what however, there's always a little bit of unfinished business that you have with with certain people. Or even if they don't leave prematurely, if you don't if you don't finish what you have to say mm-hmm. to someone, it can it, I think it can haunt you. Yes. Um I lost my father uh, exactly a year ago, last week, and he was mm. um, in his 80s, and he had been sick, and it wasn't, you know, a tragedy, because he was, he had lived a very long life, but it was incredibly sad, yes. and at the same time, there have been moments in my life where I felt a much deeper sense of grief than that, because there was something that was natural and finished and complete about his, his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a life that was very well lived. And we we spent a lot of time talking about things that mattered to us yes. over the years. Yes. So it felt it felt uh, like it had that kind of closure and kind of or finished quality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I miss him deeply, you know, I mean, and all all the things that everybody feels. But mm-hmm. I'm interested in the idea of things that are not finished yes. because I think. I can't imagine something more painful than, than not not completing something like that. Because there are all those questions unanswered, or even not even asked. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, I had um, I had a somewhat similar speaking of questions and answering, but I, I felt fortunate. My father had Alzheimer's toward the end of his life, and he and I had never been close. But because of the disease. I came back from New York and spent a great deal of time with him and through the whole progression of it and um, had the opportunity to have a lot of conversations we hadn't had while I was growing up or even through graduate school. So I hear what you're saying. Being able to, again, we come back to the communication and relationships and being able to share and express. You know, one of the things I loved about seeing the trailer, well, there 
two things that really stick out in my mind, but the visuals, and a lot of that has to do, of course, with you and uh, the cinematographer, uh, Emmy Award-winning Gabe Mahan, but also the dialogue, Tim. One of those questions that still haunt me, not just the question, but the answer that we get in the film, and that is, tell me what you want. Tell me, yeah, yeah tell us about that, uh, Tim. The first, the first line of the movie is, um, tell me what you see. Uh-huh. And then the, one of the last lines is, tell me what you want. Yes. Um, I, I mean, it's pretty fundamental. And uh, thanks for thanks for mentioning Gabe. Uh, his, his images, Gabe Mahan is the cinematographer, as you said, and he, um, he and I worked really well together. Mm-hmm. It's our second collaboration. We've done a movie before, but this one was incredibly special. He is a painter with light. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he creates beautiful images. He's a, a wonderful human being as well as a, a great artist. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't wait to see what Gabe does in his career. He's young and he's, he is... Wow. He lives and breathes cinematography. And because we set the movie in one of the most beautiful places on Earth, I think Joshua Tree yes. and the Mojave is so beautiful. And I wrote it for a beautiful place. I mm. knew I wanted it to be romantic. And having worked with Gabe before, uh, and I know the way, he knows how I think, I know how he thinks. And we just, we're rarely on a different page mm-hmm. when we're working together. And we both wanted the, the setting to play a really important part in the story yes. of two men who are reconnecting after all these years. We wanted it to feel romantic and isolated, but also beautiful and warm and inviting. And we, we wanted to make it a place where the audience wanted to go with these guys and yes. feel what they were feeling. So thank you for, for recognizing Gabe's work because I, I can't trumpet his name enough. Well, well, you certainly accomplished making the, the visuals, the locations, the shots, the cinematography, Gabe's work, all a, a character in the film. And, and such an, what can I say, an extension of Lucas's character, Dean, uh, who's a graphic designer in Los Angeles, who, who's reconnecting with the character Alex, played by uh, Aaron Costaganis. And... Getting back to that question, though, tell me what you want. What's the answer? Oh, man. Well, <laughs> it's funny. It was one of the hardest things to write. It was one of the last things I wrote. Mm. And it came out of um, a conversation with my husband, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, he and I have been together almost 17 years. Wow. And he plays the optometrist in the, in the, in the movie, actually. Mm-hmm. But... But he he led me to that because I was I was having a really hard time figuring out a way to have Dean articulate what he wants uh, in life, mm-hmm. and it was my husband who led me there. He we were having breakfast, and he just well, well what do you want? Just tell mm-hmm. me what you want. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I want so many things, and he said, write that down. Mm-hmm. And I and that was when I realized, oh yeah. I know how to I know how to get through this scene. I have to I have to go back to the uh, the place that that started this story, which is like a much an internal place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we were writing. I was writing that at breakfast, you know, before we were the day we were shooting it. Oh wow! And I kept I kept rewriting that scene over and over again. I was driving the actors crazy, <laughs> but um, well, I don't know that that's there. They were actually helping me. I mean, we were doing some improv. We were doing. You know, we were working together, we were collaborating, but it, I, I just kept bumping up against, um, you know, I kept bumping up against things that I felt weren't right. Mm-hmm. And even a couple of my co-producers, my producing partner, Todd Schatz, who is a fantastic reader and uh, gives great notes, and he's, he's just a wonderful collaborator. And and I had another producer, Kelly uh, Woyet, who was mm-hmm. reading everything. And they were both very, very supportive, and they would say, oh, this is great, this is good, this is the one. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, it isn't, it isn't, mm-hmm. it's not there. And so it was my husband who led me to what now you see on the film. Yes, which I won't give away, but um, the, <laughs> <laughs> the answer is as uh, reflective, moving, collaborative as the question. And oh, I, thank you. I hope um, 
people will not only see the film, by the way, it's theatrically releasing in New York City and Los Angeles, I believe Friday, November 11th. Is that correct, Tim? That is correct. Good. It's in uh, New York at Cinema Village and at the Music Hall in Los Angeles. Fantastic. Two great locations. Um, and then it's on uh, DVD and on demand like four days later. Yes. It's everywhere. That's right. Yes, it's everywhere. Which is... Uh, the subtext, if you will, of Lazy Eye. It's everywhere. Um, I mean, we are... I, I look forward to a time, and I think your film is a great testimony, a great step forward in this, when we can go, again, regardless of our own individual, personal, private, or whatever, uh, life experience, and see that life experience with its variations, but that life experience in other people who we don't think are like us. We see that that everyday life is life. <laughs> Sounds like a silly thing to say, but perhaps it's time for me to go to a break. <laughs> We're going to take a break now. We are talking with writer-director Tim Kirkman uh, about his new film, Lazy Eye, which is set for theatrical release on Friday, November 11th in New York City and in Los Angeles. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Fed Up came into and out of the movie theater so fast, you might think that film distributors had been pressured to get it out of circulation before the public had a chance to see and react to it. Still, for anyone concerned about the long-term health of American children, Fed Up is a must-see film. For anyone interested in the growing epidemic of obesity in America, Fed Up is a must-see film. And for anyone wanting to understand why losing weight is virtually an impossible task in our culture, Fed Up is a must-see film. Its message is that the Food and Drug Administration, the medical community, and thousands of individual experts have been giving us exactly the wrong information about what will keep us healthy. And they have been persuaded to do so by the packaged food industry. No one wants to believe in a vast conspiracy, not really, but the researched facts assembled for this documentary speak otherwise. Diet and exercise don't really count for much at all, say the filmmakers, not while we are being sabotaged by the excess sugar that permeates virtually all packaged foods. Don't believe it? Watch Fed Up, and then decide for yourselves whether you can safely ignore it. Fed Up, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is writer-director Tim Kirkman, and we're talking about his new film, Lazy Eye, which will be theatrically released on Friday, November 11th in New York City and Los Angeles we were trying to express the the need for movies like Lazy Eye, that this this is life without our imposing our narrow points of view on it. We are open up to realize, oh, well, everyone is going through what I'm going through. I think that's always a wonderful lesson to relearn. Whenever I have a bad day or a particular challenge or whatever, I, I look for people who are dealing with similar things, and they're everywhere. I'm not alone, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> well, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Tell us about you chose to have the actors, Aaron and uh, Lucas, play themselves when they're about 15 years different in ages, each of them. Yeah, it's, they are both uh, younger than the characters they play and older than the characters they play. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was specifically started looking for actors who were, um, that I could age up and age down mm. very easily so that we didn't have to double the casting. Because I always, I feel like, I, I knew having, I love actors and I, and I know enough of them that it would be a really rich and rewarding Experience if mm -hmm. they could play their young their younger selves as well as their older ones, and I thought it could be fantastic. But it's only you know so believable when certain 
factors do that. Um, sure. Because the, the fact is we change physically quite a bit mm. um, from 20 to 40 or 25 to 50. And it, it feels like uh, it's a delicate, uh, it's, a, it's a tricky casting pros- you know, prospect. Um, but I got lucky because they're both incredibly good-looking guys who are also really they're just ha- character actors in 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 leading in, li- in leading men bodies you yes know what I mean? yes because they they're they're both so interesting and smart and kind of quirky and and they can they go between drama and comedy very easily they're just nimble and i have so much respect for their work ethic especially because they were both trained at nyu's you know, mm-hmm. graduate program and yes. so they have this this wonderful pedigree but they they also brought to it um that that kind of language mm-hmm. so they could work together because they spoke the same language just having gone to the same school they mm. could reference they had never met before mm. they uh, it, it, they knew each other instantly you know in that mm-hmm. way that that we do but I, th- I think it works really well. I mean, and Lucas, especially, he once he shaves the beard, I mean, he becomes a completely different person. Yes. <laughs> I think yes. He, he does feel like the boyish, you know, 23-year-old or whatever, however old. Uh-huh. So did you find it, uh, I mean, I, I I know you've really answered this question, but I just want to hit it home again. Uh, was it a challenge to find actors that were talented and at the same time you could age up and age down? Was Did that take longer than expected or did you just instantly go ah these are the guys well it's it's, a, it's kind of uh it's, there's two parts to that because i one of the things that todd and i both decided was we were going to shoot this movie in late summer early fall of 2015 like that's we knew we were going to do it mm-hmm. that's what we wanted mm-hmm. so our goal then became to find the best actors that we could find who were available when we wanted to shoot mm. and not because you can wait around for yes. a certain actor for <laughs> a really long time and nothing ever happens. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, then I don't really, I, I mean, I feel like a clock is always ticking. So mm-hmm. it feels it felt like foolish to do that. Even though we, we did, I met with you know other actors and we made offers to some actors who passed or who weren't available or who, but, you know, it just feels like it's more mysterious than that. It feels almost like a, what you hope is that you find the right uh, blend of an actor who you hadn't expected. Mm. Um, so some, some element of surprise mixed mm-hmm. with the practical pieces, which are, are you available? Can we afford you? Can you afford us? Mm-hmm. And what do you bring to the table that is what we're looking for. And I think it's it's a little mysterious mm. how it all works. But I, I can't believe, I got, I hit the jackpot. Yeah. I feel like these guys are two of the most talented people I've ever worked with. Um, and also just two of the nicest human beings mm. you would ever want to work with. Mm. You know, really collaborative, incredibly um, generous to each other, to the crew, to the, to the whole experience. I love them. I can't. I want to write for them now, you know, uh, having worked wow. on them. Can't be a better compliment than that. But Lucas spoke to that too about your set and how that, uh, how the camaraderie and the, uh, that give and take was very much a part of every moment of the shoot. That people were, were, were into the work as an ensemble, and and that wasn't just the actors, but he made clear it was everyone on the set. So, I agree. Yeah. We had we were it was a great set, yeah. and it was a small set. You know, Todd and I specifically set up a a, a model so that we were as lean mm-hmm. and as we could be mm-hmm. in terms of a crew, but also keep the set safe. And you know, everyone was paid. We were really trying to figure out a way to to create an independent filmmaking model that sure. is a sustainable model Excellent. where people actually do get paid for their work nobody's working for free mm-hmm. that it's safe and you're, you know no one's like working overtime mm-hmm. you know it's, it's all the, the things that you really want to make sure you have in a sustainable business model mm-hmm. and that's that's as much of what we were doing as anything that's on the screen actually well it, it's an it's amazing cohesive whole body here because uh, clearly 
both as a business and as an art and uh, as a consideration of all the talent involved you seem to have really considered everything and which may be a good time to mention that Tim Kirkman by the way is represented by Robin Budd of Viewfinder Management in case you want to work with this wonderful human being um, Tim how significant is it that the film Lazy Eye the time frame of what takes place. Mm -hmm. Am I reading too much into that, or is that... No, no, okay. I mean, I think part of that is just the nature of independent film. I mean, it, oh. it's, you know, if you're, if you, I've made, as you said, uh, I've made several films, and one of the ways you keep a budget down is to have few locations, few speaking roles, mm -hmm. but there's some really practical choices that you can make to keep a budget down, and um, one of the, <laughs> one of the, not rules of independent film screenwriting but uh -huh. when you when you know you have a low budget one of the things you want to do is, is try to set it in the present day as much as possible mm -hmm. and have it have it um in as much of a compressed time as possible mm -hmm. so i set the whole movie in a weekend mm -hmm. and then even the flashback is basically 24 hours because yeah. all three flashbacks in the movie are a reference to the night these two guys met so uh, it's the, the evening, so, you know, the, the time is important for budget reasons, mm -hmm. but also because I think the movie, you know, it's lazy eyes about anything, it's about a moment when everything can change, and I think that those, there are moments in all of our lives where a decision has to be made, mm -hmm. and it's now or never, those type of moments. And I think it, just in terms of dramatic writing, those are the best moments when you put a character in a situation where they have to, to act mm -hmm. or lose, mm. or lose the opportunity to change their lives forever. I, there's a wonderful writer named Claudia Shear. She wrote a, a play called Blown Sideways Through Life years ago. Uh -huh. And it's such a wonderful play. It's a one-woman show about all the different jobs she's had. And I love what she said. She says, in, as part of the play, she said... <laughs> You can go out to the corner for a cup of coffee and wind up living in another country. Mm. And, I've, and I've often thought like that is so true. Um, life can so quickly change. You don't have to, to watch years and years of someone's life mm -hmm. on screen. Um, you can follow them in an afternoon. Oh, yes. Yes. As in real life, as you say. I, I loved how the characters... Who are who have come together after fifteen years have different memories of how uh, they met and, and and got together initially fifteen years prior. Memory yeah. plays uh, an important role, I think, in Lazy Eye. Talk to us about that because that certainly was a collaboration of writing, directing, and acting. But I think I feel like, at least for me. Um, some of the encounters that I've had in my life with family, friends, you know, people who I've shared any experience with, when we revisit it, this often happens. We're sitting around and everybody says, that's not, mm -hmm. that's not how it happens. Yeah, somebody good. tells their version and somebody says, that's not at all how it happens. And I feel like we're completely unreliable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> as a species, we're completely unreliable. And so it is about memory. It's about it's as much about memory. In fact, it was more about memory. I cut some of the things because it started to make... Um, Lucas's character Dean seemed a little like early onset Alzheimer's. No, no disrespect to your your father, but it was it did feel a little bit like, wow, he doesn't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, I do feel that way sometimes. Yes. I feel like uh, we memory is is as much a part of our um, our life jackets, mm -hmm. you know, our internal our internal lifeboats. As anything, because yes. they, it keeps us from going crazy sometimes. I think sure. the only way, tricks, tricks of memory that our brain plays on us uh, help us to survive things that are painful or process things that are um, difficult. And in this case, in the case of Dean and Alex, I think one of them is romanticizing what happened and one of them is in denial of it. And I mm -hmm. think that that's, and depending on your point of view, I think, that could shift as well if you're an audience member. Yes. Um, that's, an, that's something that's interesting that we've found in screening the film mm -hmm. is audience, audiences often come out you know, at the Q&A or afterwards they'll find us in the lobby of the theater and they'll, they'll talk about 
their alliance with one or the other character. Mm, mm-hmm. And one will say, oh, this was, you know, I really was angry with this character. I was really mad at Dean. And then another one would say, no, 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 but Dean obviously is not the, you know, the, the bad guy in this situation. Yeah. You know, Alex is. <laughs> so, and then, then there are people who talk about how it shifts across the film. Like one moment they're al- aligning with one and one with the other. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's, that's as much a reflection of life for me at least. Yes. And, um, and, and all the rewrites we do in our heads as life goes on. One quick story, if I may. My, my wife still have a bit of a, a disagreement on this. She, she as growing up, her, her mother cut her hair and her father got very upset at her mother for cutting her hair. So she sort of carries that around. And she mentioned, she has beautiful hair, my wife. And she mentioned one day, early in the marriage, she wanted to get it cut. And I said, well, don't get too carried away. Well, I, there's a restaurant where I used to go quite a bit and work. And um, I know she came in there and sat down, and I didn't recognize her at first because she'd cut so much. She claims, no, it was an entirely different restaurant. She was walking by in front of it. I saw her through the glass and didn't recognize her. Well, anyway, <laughs> it, it just happens. But that back, <laughs> Yes, it is. And I think I'm getting the inklings of a memory of those who are two different occasions, but I haven't brought that up with her yet. I, after all, I love my marriage. Uh, oh, I love that you just said that. I love that you just said you, you haven't brought it up because you love your marriage because I think there are, I've had a lot of conversations about how we we understand memory and lie to each other and to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that anybody lies about anything, mm-hmm. you know, is, is sometimes controversial, but I would argue that we lie about things all the time. Oh, yes. In order... <laughs> Yes. from pain or to or protect people from humiliation or like there are, there are lies that are that are the right kind of lie you have to tell them you know mm-hmm. it's the humane and and the compassionate yes. thing to do yes and i feel like that doesn't get enough of a voice mm. because it is a, is an ethically gray area i mean i have a friend who is a hundred percent honest mm. And I don't, uh, we're not friends anymore, really. Mm, mm-hmm. um, because she, she just doesn't understand this concept. Mm. She, she, re- she rejects this idea. And I feel like in some ways, that's the reason. Yes. She doesn't understand that there's, there's actually a hum- there's humanity is built into how we lie to ourselves and lie to each other sometimes in ways that are really compassionate and, and from a place of, concern and care and love not mm-hmm. lies get a bad rap <laughs> <laughs> yes, i like that well my feeling is i it, there are first of all i don't need to win every battle the marriage is more Very important good. than that well, but, and yeah. i didn't know my father was teaching me this my father never spoke more than a short sentence and so when he did uh, you listened because it was something of great value i'm, I'm not going to take time to, to go through a lot of them but he he, he was a man of few words, and only after I was with him a great deal during his illness did I come to realize he heard everything my mother was saying. It just was, what was the point in starting an argument or what, when, it, when silence, or as a, a, a chief, uh, not Chief Justice, unfortunately, but uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Gainsburg says, um, sometimes it pays to be deaf during a marriage. And I love that. <laughs> well, yeah, speaking of Supreme Court justices, you know, Clarence Thomas hasn't said a word. Over his whole career. He's famous for not talking. Yes. And I feel like if he were to talk, it would be the banner headline of the New York Times. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. So, so there is power in that. I think he has a lot of power because of that. Yes, or at least it's perceived anyway. But... Uh, let me, exactly. yes, we, I, I do want to end on the film, of course. Uh, Lazy Eye jumps right into the conflict, if or into the action, or into the, it kind of skips over. Of course, I only saw the trailer, so correct me if I'm wrong. It, it's, it jumps right to the inciting moment and skips the exposition. Is that just because I've seen the trailer, or is that what you did intentionally, or what are your thoughts? parachute right into the conflict yes. uh, you, and I feel like that's you know, an old screenwriting adage yes 
I love that. Get out early of every scene. And I thought, because it's an intimate drama that's largely between two people, I mean, the first 20 minutes of it, you're, you're basically just with Dean. Mm-hmm. And so it was a challenge to create, to pack in as much uh, of who he is and where he's been and his history and his current situation. But, I, I mean, that's what I'm interested in when I go see movies. I want to yes. be right in... I want to know up front, like, what is this about? Yes. What are, what's the dramatic question that's being asked? And then to be surprised is the second challenge, like, mm-hmm. as a writer, to create something where an audience might be surprised. I think that's harder and harder these days. Well, I want you to know I noticed and I appreciated it because it's not... I, I am, as a theater director, I do uh, appreciate the importance of exposition, but I also like to know, okay, boom, when is it... We're on the road now. Let's get there because I get it. I, I know it. I got it. And then, as you say, I love it the few times I'm surprised. That also is that, ah, oh, man, they got me. I love that just as much. Okay. Before we go, because we must go, it's been a marvelous conversation with writer-director Tim Kirkman about his new film, Lazy Eye, and life all around us and among us, with us, between us, relationships, communication, <laughs> love, all of it's there. <laughs> Plus the beautiful uh, desert in uh, L.A. and uh, cinematography of Gabe Mann. And I would like to ask now, Tim, before we go, uh, what do you want to leave us with, even if it's just website, Facebook page, whatever, or if it's as profound as what do you want us to take home after seeing Lazy Eye? Your choice. Oh, wow. You Uh, You can say it all. I'll do both. You can okay. follow me at I mean, that's easy. But as far as the movie goes, I would hope that people will go and experience something that is that connects them to the material. I think there's something there that for adults, I think that we're, we all have so much more in common than the things that separate us. You know, our differences are so much less than what what unites us and mm. um, that's certainly true of experiences in relationships and so that was my goal to just create something that that would be relatable to people mm. on a, an emotional on a physical sexual level like all, all the things that draw us back to people yes. and connect us to them I think it's, I hope that, that that would be a universal experience for everybody beautifully put Tim Thank you so very much, Tim Kirkman, for being on the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show, and I look forward to the theatrical release of Lazy Eye on Friday, November 11th. Thank you so much. We wish you all the best, of course. Say hello to Lucas for me and uh, all the team, okay? Thank you, Marcello. It's been great talking to you. Same here. Bye now. Take care. Bye-bye. Stay with us, as we'll be right back with a final comment from the Reasonable Voice. Now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. The coming-of-age story is a classic film narrative. Young person experiences conflict at school or with family, gets involved in a romance, and comes out on the other end with a new outlook on life. We usually view these films through the veil of our own memories, so our reaction can be personal. But when they are well-realized, as is the case here, the rewards carry extra appreciation. Written and directed by British sitcom star Richard Iowati, Submarine tells the story of Oliver, age 15, as he deals with the twin perils of navigating his first relationship and discord at home caused by a new neighbor with eyes for his mom. Divided into two parts, Girls First, Family Second, the film builds to a big, shambling climax where separate plot lines get tangled to form something bigger and more difficult to handle than Oliver could have anticipated. While all the actors in the film do a fine job, especially the two teen leads, the real star is first-time filmmaker Iowati. His script is equally comedic and dramatic with wonderfully stylistic touches in editing and cinematography. Submarine honors the coming-of-age ideal by infusing indie quirk, humor, and fresh insight, and it will earn its place in your heart. Submarine. Not in theaters, 
Discovery through Rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Choices. Trump, Johnson, Stein, Clinton. Perhaps Saturday Night Live returns just in time to remind us you really can fool all of the people some of the time, and some of the people all of the time. And just like that, 2016 elections aren't funny anymore. Soulmate, my aging cat, born on the streets with a bad liver, a bad leg, and now kidney issues, reminds me like a Sons of Bill lyric. For some of the people some of the time, existence has been dragging your life across the sands of time, from food desert to college loan debt, whether individual or nation, from dinner wine to morning after Joe, the twilight looks a whole lot like the dawn. It's not just how little Trump and Wells Fargo, Romney, and Koch brothers pay in taxes. It's the lawmakers we elected allowing this systemic imbalance to increase and multiply in all areas of American life. Let's assert we hold these truths to be self-evident and reconnect to an all-inclusive oasis where no matter how many he-speaks-his-mind excuses or clueless about Aleppo and foreign leaders or even sincerity regarding democracy, most of us still gravitate to the center of reason, casting our precious privilege in a way that enables the election of a dangerous, thin-skinned, angry old snake oil salesman neither preserves, protects, nor defends democracy or the American Democratic Republic. Such a hard right turn turns us back to a Supreme Court failing to embrace counting all American votes as the constitutional way forward. In the wake of Bush v. Gore, America has been shock and awed into preemptive strikes against a country that had nothing to do with 9-11, perpetual war creating ISIS, Al-Qaeda on steroids, global financial instability, worst national unemployment since the Great Depression, and of course the Great Recession. 2016, however, gives us an opportunity to help America think again by voting to prevent fears, frustration, and anger from transferring our belief in each other to faith in GOP hypocrisy, Gary Johnson ignorance, and a Machiavellian Trump. Only rarely in America has it been acceptable to give belligerence, misogyny, and bigotry a free pass. But now that Trump is no longer a reality sideshow, but mob-pleasing improvisation staged as semi-scripted nominee of the ultra-conservative right wing, that rarity has exposed its fangs once again. As an ardent Sanders supporter, I understand crushed dreamers and frustrated activists. But joining the deserting non-voters or giving into hopelessness that denies America mature, rational, pragmatic voting booth judgment gives neocons the legitimacy they crave. As citizens, it is up to us to vote to imprint the U.S. Supreme Court and impact the U.S. Congress. Hold the feet of Democrats to the fire, insisting on an Attorney General Bernie Sanders, an Elizabeth Warren heading SEC, a Supreme Court Justice Barack Obama, a Treasury Secretary Melinda Gates, all while keeping James Comey as FBI Director to keep the next President Clinton on the straight and narrow. We and the world we live in deserve candidates who can name as well as work with other world leaders. Not a Trump, nor a Libertarian Party, insisting that all must lift themselves up by their bootstraps, ignoring some have neither boots nor homes. It is for us, rather, to help protect all of the people all of the time from the bullies of the world, whether on Main or Wall Street, in Congress or uniform, Olympian doctors or a candidate's Russian hacker hero. Remember... We're all going to die, no matter what the plastic surgeon told you. So let us focus our collective attention, energy, money, and votes on eradicating all forms of bullying, sexual harassment, spousal and child abuse, bigotry, 
sexual and gender oppression, income disparity, military and campus rape, remembering America is the choices we make. Choose saving us from Alzheimer's disease and climate change or live trying. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.